Welcome to New in Nashville. This is your host, Elam Freeman. I'm a commercial real estate broker and yoga instructor based in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am a Nashville native who has spent time living in Los Angeles and Washington, D.C. I have also traveled to all 50 states and visited nearly every U.S. metropolitan city bigger than Nashville. I am crazy about Nashville's growth and want natives, newcomers, and tourists to have the knowledge they need to keep up with our city's pace. Today's guest is Rob Darwell. Rob is an entertainment lawyer whose career has consisted of working on hundreds of motion pictures and television productions. Rob has worked on cases involving Comcast and Disney, and today he serves as a chair of the entertainment technology and advertising practice at his law firm in L.A. Through the years, Rob launched several specialty practices in the areas of advertising, fashion, and art law, and has handled transactions that reflect the intersection of those verticals, as well as those in sports, music, gaming, merchandising, and mobile and digital areas. He represents clients in all segments of these businesses around the world. He currently serves as legal counsel to Amazon Studios for its film and television content. Rob studied law at Georgetown University, and upon graduation, he moved to Los Angeles and combined his passion for entertainment and media with his interest in international business. Rob travels and works regularly from his homes in Los Angeles, NYC, Nashville, Paris, and Buenos Aires. When not negotiating and drafting, Rob may be found in the DJ booth or taking photos for his extremely popular Instagram feed, The Daily Server, which has been featured in a month-long gallery exhibition in Paris. As you can tell, Rob is an extremely dynamic individual, and conversing with him is always a pleasure. If you are interested in law, international travel, music, or craft cocktail culture, you will find this episode fascinating. Today, we have Rob on the show with us, excited to jump right in um, and start learning about his lifestyle and how he balances all of his many passions. So welcome, Rob. Good morning. Um, I would love to just jump right in with a um, question around a quote and see how you feel about this quote. If you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Well, I've always loved what I do. But it's definitely been work. Um, <laughs> as a lawyer, I build my time in increments, you know, point uh, like six-minute increments. And so I'm always very acutely aware of, you know, my time that's for hire and for others and the time that winds up being my free time. Right. Right. That's awesome. I know a lot of people that operate like that, but usually not six minutes. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's certainly a cue. So I have a very good sense of time. I mean, without ever, you know, checking the time. Uh-huh. If someone says, you know, what time is it? I'm like, it's, you know, right. 1152. <laughs> your you sixth know. sense. <laughs> um, tell us where you're originally from. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Suburbs. Gotcha. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed with uh, your apparent love for cities. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I left when I was 16, okay. to, uh, graduated high school, and then moved to Arizona. I went to ASU for undergrad. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. And then on to Georgetown right uh, right after that? There, I did six months in Paris at the Sorbonne, University of Paris. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Tell us uh, how and why you chose a left-brain career path where you are servicing a right-brain industry. Has this posed any personal or relational challenges? 
Well, I think you know the thought of me becoming a lawyer came about in fourth grade. Uh, I didn't know any lawyers growing up. I mean, even through you know through high school. But at open house, uh, the fourth grade teacher told my mom that I would make a very good lawyer. I think because I like to argue a lot in in class <laughs> and that. And so then that was just kind of the the path all along. Uh, I chose Georgetown because they had a particular focus on international law and international trade. During my first year of law school, I worked at the French embassy, and I enjoyed that. And it was during the second year that I took the one entertainment seminar that the school offered. Um, before that, I hadn't really heard of entertainment law. And through the class I was introduced to, to entertainment law, I had to write a paper uh, for the class. I chose to write about children in the entertainment industry and did a comparison piece between the laws of New York and California governing the employment of minors. Uh, at the time, two children had just been killed on the set of the Twilight Zone movie that was filming. And that, that paper got published in Los Angeles and... Um, from there, I, you know, decided to, to focus on that industry, and kind of have used logic and reason to support the the arts, and uh, certainly have enjoyed that. It's a more as an industry focus. It's very general in the type of law that you practice, a little bit of everything, and um, yeah, I like to think that I've been creative along the way mm-hmm. while practicing law. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about managing an impressive career amidst living in five different places. Was having five homes something you always set out to do, or did it just happen over time? Yeah, it kind of just happened. I think <clears throat> the goal was that I always wanted a place in, in Paris, um, was kind of the dream. And initially, it, it seemed a little bit out of out of reach um, price-wise. And I, I would look around um, and never quite be able to cl- you know, close on someplace. And, uh, you know, so I wound up buying a place in New York um, first as an alternative place. Kind of at the time, so this was about 15 years ago, stock market wasn't doing really well. And I just visited my parents who had retired in Florida and, you know, were golfing and doing things. And I was like, oh, that wouldn't be me during my retirement. Right. You know, I would want to be in a city and thought, oh, well, nobody – People don't seem to retire to New York, right. but yet it seems like a great place to be because, uh, you know, public transportation, you know, you could – anything could be brought to you or you can just go out and sit on a bench and, you know, watch the world go by. But it's not very affordable for retirees. And I thought, well, I think I'll, like, invest in doing that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. From there, it was – we did a family vacation in Argentina and – loved Buenos Aires. It was kind of very European, um, but with the flip of the season, it was nice to be, you know, have summer during winter here. And then I kind of stumbled upon Nashville and uh, liked the energy uh, and the people in town. And then four years ago, ultimately got the the dream place in Paris. Awesome. Awesome. Congrats. (laughs) So do you monetize or use your various residents as investment vehicles through Airbnb? Um, and do you think we will start to see more people living this way in today's digital age and gig economy? No, I'm, I'm like very bad at monetizing the, the places. I think you would probably wind up you know, decorating them differently. You know, if you knew yep. a bunch of people were coming through and I wind up you know, when we get a place, you know, 
make it nice right. for, you know, for me and yeah. for friends to come and stay and that. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, they've monetized themselves in that I think I've been kind of it wasn't really a plan, but been fortunate in terms of, you know, where I picked to buy a place and it's just gone up on it, you know, on its own. Yep. Yep. That's awesome. Um, Have you always lived a portfolio lifestyle? And what I mean by that is had multiple different hobbies and income streams. Um, And do you feel that your various hobbies overlap with your career? I've always been very active in different, whether it's community activities or pursuit, you know, pursuing hobbies and that, uh, but really um, not so much uh, revenue generating from you know, from other activities. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, you know, I, I DJ sometime and occasionally I get paid. I mean, <laughs> mostly I think I get paid in cocktails. Yeah. But um, I remember. When I first DJed in Mexico City, and they said, "Oh, you know, we'll be paying, um, you know, a th- you know, a thousand tonight," and I was like, "Whoa, that's pretty good." Yeah. But it was a thousand pesos, you know, so <laughs> right. it was maybe like fifty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, still, it was yeah. like a yeah. very nice fifty dollars to yes. earn." <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> how have you found your community amongst your various homes, and what initiatives have you taken to meet your neighbors? So <clears throat> the timing of your question is is very good because this has been something that I've kind of really been focusing on uh, over the past year is to try to develop that deeper connection to the places where I spend time. It can be challenging with somewhat nomadic lifestyle. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, <clears throat> you know, here in Nashville, I've <clears throat> been involved with the YMCA and been a supporter. Um, I've worked at the food bank when I first got to town. I participate with Nashville Fashion Week uh, and and continue to to work with them in the Fashion Council. Uh, I've spoke on panels at uh, the Nashville Film Festival, but you know things I would like to do like join a kickball league, right. you know, and team. Uh, that's tough when you're moving around every couple of weeks. <laughs> right, you'll have uh, to find a sub. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, I'm trying to establish that connection. In other places too, as I kind of integrate myself into into Paris and France, I think initially a lot of my contacts and friends and connections to the city were professional. Um, I didn't buy any place with the goal of oh, I'm going to go land clients there. But you know, there's the entertainment industry is global and worldwide. I, when I first got down to Argentina, I just started meeting the the people and the filmmakers mm-hmm. that were in town, other people in the industry. And over time, wound up representing a good number of them, uh, represent like the largest independent distribution company in Argentina, a couple of top uh, filmmakers there as well. And, you know, that's just kind of followed suit in in the different places that I've been. Right. Yeah. In terms of meeting neighbors, uh, I mean, even even in L.A. where I spend the most time, I, I live in Beverly Hills, my closest neighbor for the last like five years has been Jodie Foster. You know, maybe we say hello when she was walking the dog, but right. it's not like we're doing backyard barbecues together right. or anything. Um, but she she just moved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's interesting how it's <clears throat> kind of as an ancillary effect has helped your business and having homes in all these different places and so you're really able to build deeper relationships there yeah i mean one of my uh one of my largest clients is amazon studios uh-huh. um, both for motion picture and television and they've increasingly been focused on uh local language production in different countries and i think 
you know, people associate me with having this global presence. And so I've been fortunate to be able to, you know, work with them on, on those type of projects. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Um, out of all of the cities in the world, why did you choose the five you live in? And do you plan to buy a place anywhere else soon? So, <clears throat> you know, I, I think some of this, like real estate acquisition, began before the Airbnb right, era. Right. <laughs> and um, maybe now I wouldn't, you know, have, have purchased so many places, but, you know, would maybe, you know, tap into Airbnb. Um, you know, I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit. I mean, Paris was always a dream place. I had gone to school in France for, you know, for six months during college. It was, you know... Um, you know, a great time and a lot of good memories there. And so I just um, had long been a Francophile and just thought, oh, I would love to have a place there. And um, Buenos Aires came about quite by by accident, um, really just seeing that the real estate seemed undervalued. Um, but yet, you know, you can get a place that was very European and you know, it's a major city. So it was like being in Paris or London, but at a fifth of the price. Right. Uh, you know, Nashville, yeah, I came with my son for a two-week trip uh, during one of his college breaks, and we hung out, you know, uh, in town for, for about a week of it, and then for I stayed on an extra week and was meeting and connecting with people in primarily in the music industry, uh, a little bit in the, t the TV industry here as well, and, yeah, just really liked the feel of the town and thought, oh, you know, um, yeah, instead of always maybe being in a foreign country, I'll, um, you know, stay domestic and right, pick right. up a place here. Right. Uh, in terms of anywhere else, no, I mean, I am going to Omaha, Nebraska next week. And I did find a house on online that I'm going to go look at, but I, I don't know that I'll really be buying a house in Omaha. It's just amazing what you could get. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> a little bit more bang for your buck there. <laughs> um, so I didn't cover too much in your bio about your Instagram, and that's how we initially connected because I stumbled across it and had to find out who was behind this Instagram account that I think is um, – has so much meaning to it. So can you tell us a little bit about the Instagram account and how that started? And then that will lead into my next question about your expertise in cocktails around the world. <laughs> sure. Uh, actually, the, the first Instagram photos that I took were here in Nashville. Uh, some friends were visiting in town, and that was kind of when I was learning about Instagram about six years ago or so. And kind of saw that everybody was taking pictures of their food or their drinks. And I thought, well, I'd maybe like to focus on the people who bring you that food and, and drink. Uh, I had been a waiter in college, and I always tell people that that was kind of my best training for my legal practice. Uh, just, you know, multitasking, juggling, kind of quickly sizing up uh, people and kind of reading them. And... So I started taking pictures of bartenders or servers who, you know, uh, who took good care of me during the day and sort of a, an appreciation for, for them. And I've been, you know, despite the fact that I move around a lot, I'm generally really kind of a creature of habit. If I find a place that I like, I could eat there or go there for drinks you know, almost all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, too, if I would focus on um, – 
taking pictures of people at different locations, it would also kind of push me to venture out a little bit more. Right. So, um, you know, it's had that added added benefit as well. Yeah, that's great. So what is your favorite cocktail bar in each city that you have a residence? So here in Nashville, I've been a longtime fan of 308. Mm-hmm. And um, probably for margaritas, I'll go to Rose Pepper mm-hmm. each trip that, I, that I'm here. But for, you know, for a nice cocktail. And there's so many places always popping up. Right. I mean, uh, I mean, yesterday I, afternoon I went to Van Dyke. I'm definitely going to go back there and try a cocktail in the evening. Looks like a nice place. Mm-hmm. So, in in Paris, there's there's a ton of great cocktail bars there. Uh, probably three favorites there. One is La Résistance in the Marais. I like uh, Société. Um, that. Uh, that cocktail bar uses only French ingredients and French spirits. And uh, another place is a little further out in Belleville called Comba, like combat, uh, run by uh, a women, trio of women who purchased and uh, launched the bar. Uh, in New York, I, I love Please Don't Tell, mm-hmm. uh, which you enter through a, a phone booth uh, in a hot dog shop. <laughs> and then... A uh, place that we spoke about, patent pending, is probably a, n- a new favorite there. And in Buenos Aires, there's lots of speakeasies, uh, speakeasies, and they were on it kind of much earlier than you know seemingly every place else in the world. Uh, there's a place called La Floreria Atlantico, and it's a working flower shop, and you enter the bar through one of the refrigerators that has flowers and then you go downstairs and it's spectacular, huge yeah. space. Uh, another favorite there is Nikki Harrison, yeah. kind of a uh, maybe like a steampunk place. That was cool. And in LA, <clears throat> probably tends to be where I go out the least for cocktails just uh-huh. because you're you know driving throughout right. the city a lot. Uh, there's a British gastro pub called the Pikey that I that I like. Cool. It's a nice place. Awesome. Thanks for sharing your rugs. <laughs> So kind of going on that same vein, can you compare and contrast L.A., New York City, and Nashville and tell us what is your favorite and least favorite thing about each city? Nashville and Los Angeles probably compared the most, Mm -hmm. you know, similarly uh, because of the traffic, (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately. I mean, it does feel like L.A. traffic here in, in Nashville. Um, and they're both, you know, they're both industry towns. Um, you know, here much more the focus on on music, and in Los Angeles more on film and television. But you know, both entertainment industry towns. I mean, New York certainly has a bit of that, but it's kind of, you know, lost in all of what it, what is New York. I think one of my favorite things about Nashville, though, too, is um, the time difference to LA. The two hours seems to work out perfectly. Gives me a little bit of a jump on the day. Like I can sleep in a bit, but still get a jump on the day. And, uh, you know, work an LA business day, but still be able to go out. Right, right. You know, in the evening. In New York, with the three-hour difference from LA, it's a little little tough, even though certainly New York's alive and, and... But it's hard to go out with local people. If I'm working till you know, 9.30 or 10 o'clock, and then to say, let's go to dinner. Right. I mean, there's plenty of places to have dinner at 10 or 11 in New York, but just, you know, people aren't, yes. you know, I've got to work tomorrow. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, 
I mean, those are kind of general general observations. Yeah, great. Thank you. What do you think is Nashville's identity and is the development here bearing the identity or uncovering it? Based on your experience living in much larger cities, what do you think is missing in Nashville? Um, public transportation right. <laughs> would be um, would, would be great. Uh, when I first got to Nashville and started visiting here, uh, I was early for every meeting, like yeah. probably eight minutes early, and I couldn't believe it. I would leave, you know, like in LA time, right. and you know, flash forward to today and. I feel like I'm 15 minutes late for for everything, just like I would be in in Los Angeles. Uh, I think one of the the other things that attracted me to the city was the people and really how friendly everyone was. I mean, you'd go out, somebody would buy you a drink if they heard that you were from where they were from or, um, you know, just – that kind of easy connection when driving around, people would give you a break <laughs> to go in. Yeah. That seems to have dis- dissipated some. You know, unfortunately, one of the you know one of the attractions again being the people um, has brought so many other people here, and it feels as though maybe some of that specialness has gotten watered down as other people have come here. I mean, again, maybe attracted by the nice people, but they're bringing their, right. you know. Their their own background to it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Whenever I would return um, to to Los Angeles after you know being in Nashville for a week or two, I was always like a nicer, better person <laughs> for about twenty four hours. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> till LA seeped back in. Yeah. Um, in your opinion, why has Nashville gained so much notoriety in the public eye, and what is the perception of Nashville from outside? Um, and what about Nashville kind of creates this fascination around the country? I think certainly the, the television series <laughs> did help the profile, even for people who didn't watch ever watch the series. Right. Uh, I mean, I remember being in New York or seeing in L.A. I mean, you know, billboards for, you know, Nashville for the series. And again, it was just such a great investment of sorts mm-hmm. for the city to have kind of assisted with you know production financing and giving some incentives and breaks um, that aren't available on a state level mm-hmm. attracted a lot of people and then just so much press yeah. in a concentrated period of time mm-hmm. and I think you know people who visited had a lot of fun mm-hmm. you know came here almost as like a Vegas alternative mm-hmm. wound up enjoying themselves and then kind of word of mouth spread. Right. Uh, I think the perception now is it's like the place to have your bachelorette party, right? right? And uh, uh, no, I, I, I think it attracts a lot of young people who are creative or entrepreneurial because it's a place to be surrounded with other similar type of motivated people who are creative. But in a you know, while prices have gone up here, it's still much easier to get going here than it would be in New York or Los Angeles. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Um, back to your Instagram account. Are there any relationships that you have made or opportunities that you that have come out of this endeavor through Instagram? <laughs> I mean, it's it has kind of overlapped with kind of the rest of my life in a way that I'm, I'm a bit surprised uh-huh. some. 
uh, a lot of my clients uh, who are lawyers themselves follow the Instagram account. And so they're always commenting, oh, you know, you're in Israel or I saw that you were, you know, that you were in Spain. And, um, you know, they'll, they'll joke and say that they're kind of living vicariously. And um, I mean, part of what comes with that is you have to still be kind of instantly available. And if they think that you're out of the country but not available, then, you know, clients wouldn't wouldn't call. Uh, opportunities. It's it's led to me DJing at some of the places, or some of the bartenders who I've featured have kind of said, "Oh, come to my bar," or I know of a gig, and you know have invited me that way. And I've, uh, you know, I, some people you know will direct message me or send a note. If you ever come to this town, you know, let's meet for a drink, or I have some recommendations, or I'd love to serve you. And so, I've you know showed up at you know, some places and, you know, asked to be served by so-and-so and then introduced myself. And it's always been kind of fun. That happened recently and a couple of weeks ago in Philadelphia. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. It's neat how Instagram can kind of create this small world connection by people that are interested in the same things. And then you can connect with people on through your passions, I suppose, um, that you would just would otherwise just work with professionally. So, yeah, that's great. Um, so with all of your travel, do you have a preferred airline and why? I generally fly United, um, which it's tough for Nashville because it's not direct from, from Los Angeles. It is direct from New York. Um, uh, but I've been a 1K on United for the past 10 years or so. And I mean, what that means is, you know, oftentimes they'll upgrade you you know, for, for free. So going back to Los Angeles tomorrow afternoon, I checked, you know, checked yesterday, last night, and I saw, oh, they had upgraded me to first class on the way back, but, you know, with an economy ticket. And um, so I just think there's some benefits to kind of repeat loyalty in the sense that, you know, the, the program's good. Right. And, right. Yeah. Cool. So what is, I'm sure it looks very different, um, but you did mention your creature of habit as well. So what does a day in your life look like? It usually starts with a Diet Coke <laughs> okay. um, or a Coca Light if I'm in, in Paris. Uh-huh. Uh, I've never had a cup of coffee in my life, so um, I've tasted it, but just not a fan. Yeah. So I do need something to kind of get me going. And then I usually will, um, well, if I'm in Los Angeles, I live on a hill that's a one-mile circle, so I'll circle that a couple of times. Here, I'll typically go to uh, Shelby Bottoms Park and walk the bike path you know, for about two or three miles. Uh, then I like to swim. And I mean, my day is usually work from kind of the minute I wake up, you know, checking emails, getting caught up, usually doing some conference calls from home, then kind of doing this exercise break in the morning and then hit the office, more work. Uh, Try to have either a business or social lunch and back to the office in the afternoon, I'll sneak out and go to the gym and then begin to focus on where am I going to go to take a picture today and do that in the early evening and then kind of, you know, work usually until, until bedtime. Yeah. Yeah. Watch, watch some sort of content. Uh Yeah. Do you think the legal field is becoming um, increasingly uh, remote in a sense of more and more 
people, more and more attorneys are starting to just be able to work from wherever. And there's the mm-hmm. expectation to come into the office. I know that that's kind of depending on what field you're in, the pace of how acceptable that's becoming is varied. How is that in the legal field? Yeah, I, th- I think that definitely people are working remotely more often, um, you know, at my firm, I've been fortunate that they've supported my travels. We have an office in York, so when I'm there, I am able to work out of the office at 30 Rock and that. But um, you know, I think you have to kind of make that extra effort to constantly be connecting with people who are in the office right. so that they're aware of that and your, and your clients. Mm-hmm. Um, because th- there is a benefit still to being surrounded by your colleagues and being able to knock on their door and brain, you know, brainstorm and that that type of thing, uh, but uh, yeah, there's far fewer in-person meetings. You know, even when I am working out of an office, I mean, everything is done by you know r- remotely or telephone conferences or video chats and that. And even for big closings, you know, there used to be more of kind of this ceremony of the parties coming together in a conference room and signing the big contract. And right. now people will buy and sell companies, and it's you know it's just done with a you know, with a scan. And yeah. there's I had uh, French clients a few years ago who bought a you know, significant television production company. And they flew from France to, you know, sign the contracts in the conference room and that. But the, you know, the seller uh, lived in Malibu and he didn't even come into the office. Right. I it kind of felt pretty disrespectful in that in that sense. So, I mean, I, th- I think maybe international clients still have that feeling of ceremony. I've noticed that with some from Latin America as well. But... Uh-huh. Um, yeah, generally, um, you know, I think you see it change the configuration of what a law office even looks like. Right. You know, there are you know fewer spaces like that. There's more shared offices. Yeah. Cool. Any advice that you would give to listeners who want to integrate their passions into their lifelong career? Well, I think that's the advice right there, which is be you know begin to integrate them. Uh-huh. Um, or, or they will they will ultimately integrate themselves mm-hmm. if you're beginning to pursue them. Right. You know, I think that in a professional sense, people can get excited about what you're excited mm-hmm. about, and you know the the connections are there to be made. Um, again, I think for my own life, it's um, you know just ha- like happened somewhat randomly the same with music or DJing and that, which, you know, came out of more of a challenge. Somebody said that I didn't have the beat. And <laughs> from there, I just went, I was going to prove that I did have the the beat. Yeah. And now it's one of the things that a lot of clients or potential clients gravitate to, you know, and they're like, I want to see you perform and I want to come and, you know, yeah. um, even though that has nothing to do with whether I'll be a great lawyer or not, <laughs> but it seems to excite them. Right. Well, it's, so much of business is about relationships and just feeling like you can, there's a lot of people I'm sure, you know, that have technical skills out there, but how do you differentiate yourself? And it's, you know, being personable and sharing passions with your clients. So absolutely. um, I think that's really neat. And I mean, what I really admire about you is so many people just always say, Oh, I want to do X, Y, or Z, or, you know, I would love to have a place and, in five cities, but I'll never be able to afford it. But so often I think it's just 
the only thing that's getting in their way is their mindset. So um, obviously you have to work hard to have the means to do that. But I think that, you know, there if someone really wants to do that and it's a little tighter for them, there are ways, as we talked about with the Airbnb world and and looking at investments at neighborhoods being early. And it's just um, I really respect the way that you just kind of take life by or <laughs> grab life by its horns and and um, move forward with. Uh, your passions and really figure out a way to kind of live it to the fullest. Yeah, I mean, sometimes people get stumbled by their goals, Mm -hmm. right? Because the goal seems too big. Right. And it's great. And you should have those big goals. Uh But then I think you need to break it down into kind of what are some of the interim mini steps toward that big goal. Right. And then you kind of have that feeling of accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, long before I ever had a place in, in France, I opened a bank account in France that would give you a little bit of a discount on a loan. I, I did that 15 years before I ever had a place. And right. I didn't have that much money in it, but it was like, okay, I've got a bank account. Right. And okay, I'll learn French better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a number of the steps, right. you know, I'll visit, I'll see real estate, I'll talk to people. That, you know, at least it felt like I was on the way yes. long before I actually accomplished what I wanted. Right. Yeah, yeah. No. Absolutely. It's got to get past that instant gratification. Or yeah. If it seems too far out of reach, then you just give it, give it up. But right. Yeah. The you know the trick is kind of yeah breaking it into some earlier components. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's yeah. great advice. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for for having me come speak with you. Yeah. yeah. Glad that one of your uh, that you've chosen Nashville for one of your homes, and excited to kind of see how you continue to integrate here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Please reach out to share your experiences with us by emailing newinnashvillepodcast at gmail.com. You can also sign up for our mailing list and access our social media at www.newinnashvillepodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, please review and subscribe on iTunes and refer our podcast to a friend today. Thank you to Jared Anderson of Evergreen Productions for producing and engineering our podcast. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time. The music in this episode is provided by Carrie Ann Larson. She is a singer-songwriter who strives to write songs that people hear their own stories in. You can find her music, including her latest single, Fairweather Friend, on all digital platforms.